love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi. Hey, this is the podcast where we help you find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, productive, and profitable. Yes, it's possible. Hey, this is a great time of year to be planning to do just that, to either find or create work that you love. So we're going to be looking at some questions. And today's segment is brought to you by audiblepodcast.com. You can go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash 48 days to get a free audiobook download. Now, I'm going to give you a great suggestion for that in just a little bit. A book that'll rock your world based on a particular challenge that I'm hearing from a lot of people this time of year. Now, you'll, you'll recognize why when I share with you what that unique challenge is. Our theme for today is going to be We Are Never Alone. That comes from a quotation that I'll share with you in a minute. Here is one challenge. This is the number one challenge shared by listeners today. How does one deal with negative family members? Now, that's a biggie, especially this time of year where you may have to confront, not confront, at least, but at least be around some negative family members. What if they don't think like you do? What if you put yourself on a different path? You know, the Bible says a prophet hath no honor in his own hometown, and sometimes we feel like that, perhaps going home for the holidays. Boy, you're excited about life. You've created something unique that you're doing that you really love. And people are saying, when are you going to get a job? When are you going to settle down and be responsible? Well, hey, I've, I've heard that enough over the years. Maybe you have too. We'll deal with How do you deal with negative family members? Well, some other questions. Somebody says, as soon as I walk in the door to my job, I become bitter and reclusive. I think maybe that listener needs a change in work. I become bitter and reclusive as soon as I walk in the door to my job. Ouch. Dan, how do I balance everything that I have to do? Here's one, Dan. What's the status of the woman you and Joanne are helping? I'll give you an update on that. Dan, after 12 years with the same company, I have moved up in position, but not in income. What do you think? Should you feel good because you've got a better title? You've moved up in position, but not in income. Well, we'll discuss some options for that. Here's our quotation for the day. It comes from Taylor Caldwell, who says, this is the message of Christmas. We are never alone. Now, based on the first question, our first challenge I presented today, that may be, uh, that may be more of a curse than a blessing, the fact that we're never alone. But really, when you think about it, you don't want to be alone. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a solopreneur. It doesn't matter if you are a reclusive writer. You cannot be successful without linking arms with a whole lot of other people. So just get used to it. It doesn't matter if you're a severe, dyed-in-the-wool introvert. You are never alone. You cannot be successful alone, at least. You may isolate yourself, but if you do, your success is going to be very, very limited. You'll be like you know, somebody on an island little tiny island all by yourself with a suitcase with $10 million in it. Well, whoop-de-doo, it doesn't make any difference because you have nobody to exchange that with for something of value. So we are never alone. Well, let's go right into what we usually call our success segment, where we have 
some interesting things that people are doing. Always, always interesting things that people are doing. Now, this comes from Chris. Says, Dan, hope you're doing well. You might have mentioned this before in the podcast, but I've found that using LinkedIn to connect with decision makers at companies can be a very useful tool. Typically, I see a position at a company that I'm interested in. I'll find out somebody in that department using LinkedIn and send them my introduction letter, cover letter, and phone follow-up. This approach landed me into the office of a CEO of a thriving technology company in Charlotte. The owner wants to expand his company into South Charlotte and has discussed me managing this new division. When people feel they have no hope, use LinkedIn along with the 48 days approach and you can't go wrong. Great tip, Chris. Thanks for passing that along. I mean, there's so many things that we can use today. Now, I am working on an updated version of 48 days and I'll be including a lot of those new things that we can use today effectively but thanks for sharing what you're doing and your success in using that tip this comes from michael says dan i hope this finds you well i wrote you last month to relay the success of our kettle corn company we recently sold this business but it was an amazing experience it can be traced back to your 48 low-cost business ideas ebook i love that particular one kettle corn now, you've been to the street fairs. I mean, when we go to the Main Street Festival in Franklin, Tennessee here, there is always this one tent that is kettle corn. Now, there's usually a bunch of teenagers in there. You know, they got these great big black kettles and they pour oil in there and little salt and probably a little sugar, too, to be honest with you, and popcorn. And they stir that up and they turn out the most amazing kettle corn and you stand in line. There's always a line at the kettle corn tent. And you stand there and hope that you're lucky enough to give them your five bucks for a little bag of popcorn. And it's amazingly expensive. There's always a line there. The, the, I mean, I'm sure the, the product, the content in there isn't 10% of the selling price. So if they're selling it to you for five bucks and they have 50 cents in product, which I'm sure they don't, boy, what if you sell a hundred of those a day? That's $4,500. I mean, what if you sell a thousand? I mean, the money gets real interesting real quick. Well, anyway, Michael started one of those businesses and apparently built it and sold it. Cool. He says, thanks so much for your guidance. Today, I was hoping you may be able to answer my question regarding internet whiteboard videos. People all over the internet are creating whiteboard videos to help companies sell products, both physical and digital. There are lots of companies creating these videos for commercial use, so that space is very crowded. But my thoughts are, why not help people sell themselves via whiteboard resumes? Now, you know what he's talking about. I mean, you, you've seen these little videos where somebody's talking maybe a TED speech or something. Somebody's talking. And at the same time, you see the talk being displayed on a whiteboard where words come up, little people, houses, buildings, whatever, to display visually what is being said verbally. I love those little things. Anyway, Michael says, I don't see anyone servicing this niche. I bought whiteboard video software and have been practicing the last few months. I helped my wife and two of my best friends get jobs by creating personalized whiteboard resumes. I know I'm providing a great service to people, but is this something that they would really pay for? Resumes are very personal items that people create themselves. I've attached a sample of a video that I created. Please let me know your thoughts on whether this is a service that people would pay for. Yes, yes, and yes. I love it. Michael, I looked at the one that you did, the little 
resume video, and I'll put a link to that in the podcast notes so everyone can go there and look at it. It's a YouTube video, but doing a resume where the lady is talking through her credentials and qualifications as they are being displayed on a whiteboard. And really, in this case, it's more what you will be able to do for the company. I think it's a wonderful presentation. I think it's better than a video resume. Now, those were popular a few years ago where somebody would do a video resume. And frankly, my feelings were then and still are that a video resume tells people too much for that stage of the interaction. Keep in mind what a resume does. You want a resume to whet the appetite of the person seeing it. So they want to talk to you personally. If you show them you personally, they get a sense real quickly. Do I like this person? Are they fun to be around? Do we want them on our team? It tells too much before you've had a chance to personally convey your value to the company. I don't like video resumes. This I think is really cool. It's hot new technology. It's a very creative way. And if you've got that kind of success already, helping your wife and a couple friends get jobs, you've got a track record to go on. Absolutely promote it. I'd, I'd you know, do it for maybe 250 bucks. I mean, I don't know how much time it takes you to do that, but it doesn't look like it take a whole long time. But yeah, I think it's a great service. I think there'd be a market for that. Promote it. Have fun. Can I'll put a, I'll put a link to that in the podcast notes so everybody can look at what you did there. Now, here's another success story. Well, it's a success story in the sense that somebody, that a listener took action. I mean, I love that. I mean, I'm always rewarding those who take action. I mean, it's not just me. That's what happens in real life. People who take action get rewarded always. Well, this comes from Joe Santucci. And now Joe has sent us music before that I, I think I've played some clips of his before. He's a musician. Anyway, he says, Dan, you read an email last week from one woman who said, my spouse is not ambitious. Should I just grin and bear it? It sounded like it should be in a song. And now it is. It's called Paycheck Blues. Oh, and he has another note here about people. Now. I'm going to just leave it there. So Joe took the initiative based on that question last week where a lady said, should I just accept that my husband is not ambitious and just grin and bear it? Well, you know, without even listening to that, if you haven't listened to it, what well, my response is going to be on that. I mean, you can't necessarily just change the good old husband from what he is, but be a shining example of what you can be, be your best. And that may pull him up to a better self as well. But anyway, here is Paycheck Blues by listener Joe Santucci. Check this out. My spouse is not ambitious. Should I grin and bear it? Living paycheck to paycheck. Ooh, I just don't get it. Isn't there more? I believe in my heart for sure. I got that living paycheck to paycheck blues. Talking blue. The end of the month comes and Mr. Bill is waiting for me. I don't like him much, cause when I'm late he demands more fees What's up with that? Why won't he see? I got that living paycheck to paycheck blues You see, there's not enough money 
Doesn't seem to bother my honey Happy living low There's no get up and go I got that living paycheck to paycheck news Blues Yeah, talking blues Hey, Mr. Bill It gives you a thrill Cha-ching, 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 yeah Paycheck Blues, there you go. Joe Santucci, what a cool thing. Yeah, I love when somebody takes action like that. Thanks, Joe, for that cool song, Paycheck Blues. There's not enough money, doesn't seem to bother my honey. Just happy living low. (laughs) You know, there's probably a lot of the questions here that would translate into country songs. Country songs seem to convey real life. In some really interesting ways. Speaking of which, you know, Entertainer of the Year was just announced, and that's Luke Bryant, young guy who shot to the st- shot to the top. Well, if you ever get to come see me here at the sanctuary for one of our events this next year, which I hope you can, um, we may walk across the fence to see the property that Luke Bryant has built. I probably shouldn't. He probably wants more privacy than that. I probably ought to. Let's just say that we've got somebody, a new neighbor, who is uh, building a 15-acre lake and a spectacular house and a guest house overlooking a one-acre catfish pond, and it's somebody whose music you may have heard. Well, anyway, hey, I'm going I'm to move on with that, but as you know, at the end of each section here where we do that, we give a little, little shout-out to those who had success stories. don't know if I should play... Freddie Mercury here right after Paycheck Blues, but we're going to pick up with a little We Are the Champion here to celebrate those who are taking action, making things happen. We are the champions. All right, you get the message. No time for losing. We are the champions of the world. Well, hey, let's go into some questions here that go beyond we are the champions michael says should i relocate my family again i work for a large corporation as a project manager in early 2007 i was promoted and transferred from lafayette indiana to greenville in august of 2011 i was promoted again transferred back to lafayette now it goes back and forth part of me feels like i chased the promotion back to the other city we loved it down there my wife and I have four children. My wife and I have discussed this. We're not sure what to do. We hesitate because we know it'd be difficult for the children, especially the oldest ones. Any counsel would be greatly appreciated. Are we being selfish and wanting to go back? Wow. Okay. Bottom line is jobs can take you all over the company. You follow jobs. You can move. You I mean, what if they offer you a job in Seattle or Paducah, Kentucky, or in the middle of Ethiopia. I don't know. I mean, if you just are chasing a job, that's my challenge with people getting on the internet and just looking at monster.com or hot jobs or some of those places. Like, What if you find a job that's really a fit and you have to move 2,000 miles away? Are you going to just pick up and go just because of the job? Well, I hope you never do, period. I hope you never do. Now, that being said, 
All I mean by that is let's look at the whole picture. Let's evaluate where the children are in school, where we're involved in the community and church, you know, what the spouse, whether that be the wife or the husband, what they're doing. Other thing, you know, you want a life plan here. This is not about just the job is the most important thing and you just follow a paycheck. That can get you in trouble and lead to a very frustrating kind of life. So what you need to do in this situation, Michael, is simply sit down and create the ideal life. Where would that be? The ideal life where you have the kind of advantages that you want for your four children, where you and your wife have access to the things that you most enjoy. Those are the things to look at first, then secondarily say, okay, if we choose to live in Greenville, fine. What if your company doesn't offer your position there? You have to change jobs to be able to live there. Then my encouragement is find something to do in Greenville. It's just that simple. I mean, there's too many opportunities anywhere you want to go to settle for living somewhere you don't want to in a situation that you don't like just because you get a paycheck. Now, you may think that's, gee, that's easy for you to say, Dan Miller, in your position. But, you know, I mean, test me. I mean, I would live that out. I just can't imagine doing that. And when I see people who are doing that and then hear the frustration in their voices or feeling like they've given up years for the company to not be able to live the life they they wanted to live, or they're counting the days until retirement so they can quit this stinking job and live the life they want to live. I think, you know, how sad that they wasted time, weeks, months, years, living a life just because of a paycheck, living a life they didn't enjoy. Yeah, I'd say start with that. Identify the ideal life and see where that lines up and then make sure that your work complements that, that it blends the ideal life rather than the other way around. This comes from Dave. He says, Dan, I've been a stockbroker for 14 years. I work in a small office of three people for a national brokerage firm. While I love the industry that I'm in, I always find myself frustrated working with them. My manager likes to gloat when he makes a sale. He's always pointing out his own accomplishments and brushes off any successes I have. When I'm home in the evenings or out delivering pizzas, I'm always thinking of ways that I'll make a difference at work the next day. But as soon as I walk in the door to my broker job, I become bitter and reclusive. It's so frustrating. I'd love your thoughts on working with self-centered people, how I can motivate myself to get past these issues. I've read 48 days and I'm a weekly podcast listener. Thanks for your work. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this. You know what? I'm going to read another question and then I'm going to give a response to both of these. So you're working with people who are self-centered and negative and it's sucking a life out of you because you're there. Here's another question it comes from Chris who says, Dan, how does one deal with negative family members? Both my parents have such a bleak outlook on 2014 and beyond. It breaks my heart to hear them talk like this. They have this victim mentality. They blame so many things on whoever is in the current occupant in the White House. I try to tell them that God is in control and they can have a bright future ahead. I'd like your thoughts or suggestions. You know, both of these, working with people who are negative, self-centered, dealing with family members who are negative and self-centered, aren't encouraging with what you do. You know, this is a tough kind of thing. And it it relates to 
you know, having a husband who's not ambitious as well, I suppose, but it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's tough to change those people around us. And what I encourage people to do is look at what you can control and what you cannot control. You may not be able to change the culture at the company where you work, but you can choose not to stay there anymore. And again, I don't say that lightly, but if this goes on and on and on, and really it is making you bitter and resentful, reclusive, you know that is trapping your best work. You cannot do any work that really brings out your best talents if you're bitter, resentful, reclusive, the kind of things that you mentioned here. You can't do that. It's going to stifle your best work. All you're going to do is do mediocre work at best to extract a paycheck. Well, nobody wins in that kind of scenario. The company doesn't win because they're not getting somebody who's really on fire and excited about what they're doing. You don't win because you're spending a great majority of your time in something that is smashing your best talents. Can't do that. Now, in regard to negative family members, how do we deal with that? Again, right here at Christmas time, the holidays, New Year's, you may have been confronted with having to face up to family members that you aren't real excited about. Don't try to change them. Don't don't try to get together, you know, for an afternoon and think you're going to transform their lives. I think the best thing to do is be a great example. Be a great example of what you can be. If you are full of joy and excitement, positive anticipation about what's going on, I mean, that's going to act as a magnet. That's going to have a lot more power than you trying to badger them into changing what they're doing because you think it's stupid and self-destructive. It just, just be a light, be a light rather than a hammer in, in wisdom meets passion. In my last book, there's a section on page 149 where I talk about my life is a mess. Now I want to read just a short section out of here because we can all tell our story in two different ways. We can tell our story as a victim or as a winner. Now, this is my life story. These, are, these things are absolutely true in both cases. Here's the first story. I grew up in a home where we didn't even have running water until I was in the eighth grade. I knew nothing but poverty. As a five-year-old, I was forced to get up at 5.30 a.m. to do my share of the farming chores. Most Christmases, I got a new pair of blue jeans, my one pair for the coming year. I was not allowed to wear neckties or fancy clothes. Because of my parents' legalistic religious beliefs, I was not allowed to go to movies, dances, or sporting events. Our home was rigid and somber with little laughter. I received zero financial help for college from my parents. I hated the cold weather in Ohio. If only I had been born into a family with more opportunity. Or, here's my life story as well. Same kid, my story. Everything is true. In my family, we learned how to make good use of everything. Nothing was wasted. We grew our own food, and I created toys from other things family discarded. As a small boy, I had the opportunity to experience real work and to begin my commitment to work that was meaningful and profitable. With no TV or radio in our house, I became an avid reader, and that opened me up to a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that serves me well today. I worked right through my college years and valued the education I was paying for myself. My father's devotion to his religious views prompted me to study deeply and formulate beliefs to which I could be equally committed. Today, I value the work ethic and the uncompromising integrity I learned in that strict Amish Mennonite environment. 
As my own man, I wore neckties until I came to the realization there was more than legalism to provide reason for not wearing the silly things. The creativity and ingenuity I experienced as a child served me in a thousand ways and helping me, me see opportunities that others miss. Now, I really believe that. Now, I have brothers and sisters. And my brothers and sisters tend not to see our upbringing in the same way that I do. Some of them are bitter and resentful to this day about how we were raised. I'm like, give me a break. We're dealing with things that happened, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Come on, grow up. And I'm not, that's me. But my point is you can't force other people to change in any of these situations. You have to decide how you're going to live your life and then just be a beacon to those around you. That may mean leaving a job where you're having the life sucked out of you. It may mean limiting time with family members. It may mean instead of spending three days, you spend three hours over the holidays with family. members. that's okay. That's a very healthy thing to do. If it sucks the energy out of you and you end up bitter and resentful, limit the time. Yes, you can still love them and support them. Limit the time spent. I told you I was going to give you a book recommendation. I've got two for you. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, you can find either of these books that I'm going to recommend. And there's two. One is Wisdom Meets Passion. I just read from you a section out of my latest book, Wisdom Meets Passion. You can get that on audio. Jared, my son and I read that together. Had a lot of fun spending significant time in the studio getting the audio version out we hear a lot of positive comments about that so you can go find wisdom meets passion just go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days put in wisdom meets passion it'll pop right up here's another one this is by henry cloud the title is necessary endings Necessary Endings, the subtitle of the book is The Employees, Businesses, and Relationships That All of Us Have to Give Up in Order to Move Forward. Chapter 7 is one of my favorite. Chapter 7 in Necessary Endings, the title is The Wise, the Foolish, and the Evil, Identifying Which Kinds of People Deserve Your Trust. Necessary Endings, go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days put in necessary endings that can help you make some of the decisions that you're talking about here in your work and in your families, necessary endings. Sometimes we got to draw a line in the sand. Well, thanks for your questions. Pablo says, my wife and I came out to see you a few weeks ago. I hope you received my thank you note. Yes, I did. Thank you. You were so generous with your time and I'm enjoying the book, Wisdom Meets Passion. All right, Dan, how can I make the most of my morning routine? Gotten to the point where I can wake up early, but how do I balance everything that I have to do? Answer email, write blog posts, comment on other blogs, guest post, work on my own book, website design, read new material, etc. I feel like these things are essential, but I feel spread too thin. How do I know which discipline receives priority? Well, I decide in advance, Pablo, and I encourage you to do that. Decide in advance how you're going to spend the hours in a week. We all have 186 hours in a week. No more, no less. I mean, I'd love for it to be 250, but it's 186. But just like, you know, just like if you're doing Dave Ramsey's financial piece, 
he encourages you to take, okay, if you know you're going to have $186 come in, decide in advance how that's going to be invested. So don't just after the fact, see where it went, decide in advance. You do the same thing with time. So you decide in advance, but decide on those things. If you want to write blogs, now I write blogs. I write three blogs a week for my own site and then for other sites, but I write all my blogs on Monday morning. So Monday morning is my time from 8.30 to 11.30 that I write blogs for the week. In the afternoon on Mondays, I do endorsements and forwards for book manuscripts that are sent to me for either of those endorsements or forwards. That's what Monday afternoon is blocked out for. So I have big blocks of time in my schedule during the week. I mean, Wednesday morning, podcast time. So I have blocks of time in my week where I do specific kind of task. I have blocks of time where I spend just on 48days.net, commenting on other people's blogs, answering forum questions, responding to groups, things that are happening. So just decide in advance. And if you have, even if you, let's say that you have a full-time job and you only have eight to 10 hours a week to devote to something else that you're building like this, take those eight to 10 hours and decide in advance how you're going to spend them. So you don't just get caught spinning your wheels, but if you're going to spend an hour reading magazines, periodicals, newspapers, together information on your area of expertise, then limit yourself to that. Don't get caught four hours later and you're still doing the same thing. So the biggest thing is, well, there's two things really decide in advance how you're going to spend the amount of time that you have available for the work that you're describing here. And number two, if there's one thing that has exponentially increased my productivity, it's working in focused, uninterrupted blocks of time. You've heard me talk about that before, how important I think that is, because most of us are so receptive to interruptions. It's amazing. So now we know that if you're in the middle of something, you're writing an email response or you're writing a blog, you get interrupted. The phone rings, a text comes in, you get a tweet, an email comes in, whatever, you respond to that. It takes you 18 minutes to get back to the level at which you were previously. Well, a whole lot of people never go 18 minutes in an entire week without an interruption of some kind. That means they're working at a real surface level. I think no matter what it is, if you're doing a design project, whatever it is, you have to have a significant period of time to really tap into your best resources intellectually, creatively, creatively to get, do your best work. So don't allow yourself to just hit and miss. Oh man, I'll grab five minutes here, five minutes there, or I'll multitask. I'll be, you know, I'll have six screens open and be doing three different things. That's garbage. No, nobody does great work in doing that. Focus decide in advance, and then allocate that time to that one project only. Well, let me jump on here. Jacob says, Dan, I have a high-paying job, software programming, which is really not my passion. I've been in this field for over 15 years. My real passion is writing, coaching, and speaking. I'd like to venture out to do those things that are in line with my passion. To be honest with you, I hate my current job because of the workplace politics that I've been tolerating for two years. It's become almost unbearable now. I know it takes time to get my business going. Should I stick it out of my current job until I can get my business going? Or should I seek another job in my field, escape the politics, and pursue my passion at the new job? Thanks for being a great mentor to many. Well, thanks for your question, Jacob. So let me address that. Should you stay at your current job that you aren't real fond of while you build a new business or get another job? The first thing to do is de- is describe 
specifically what your life would look like as you would be coaching, writing, and speaking. Those are the things you want to do. So what would that ideal look like? Then create a financial model for that. I mean, what would you have to generate in writing, coaching, and speaking income in order to duplicate or surpass your current income or hit whatever target that you have? Then create a timeline, knowing what you know now, knowing what you know about speaking, coaching, writing, how long would it take you to hit that benchmark? If that timeline can be done in six to 12 months, don't get another job. Keep the job you have as a reasonable vehicle for allowing you to build your new business, make the transition at least from six to 12 months. I think you can probably do that. If you think it's going to take you two to three years, that's different. Then it probably makes sense to get another job, get a job that you're more passionate about. That's a better fit for you, but recognize that's going to slow down your progress in building your own business. Because even if it's a job, computer programming, you know, where that's something that you're pretty familiar with, there's still going to be a learning curve in going to a new company. That's going to slow down your progress. Just be realistic about that. So again, if you think you can duplicate, move into fully into your writing, speaking, coaching, six to 12 months, don't change jobs, stay there. If you think it's going to take significantly longer than that, get another job, but then recognize you really are stretching out the timeline. Patrick John Nolan asked uh, multiple questions here. I'll run through a couple of these. He says, what is creative destruction and how does it work? Well, creative, creative destruction really is an economic term. And and it just has to do with the fact that there are going to be lost jobs, uh, ruined companies, industries that go out of business. And what it's saying is creative destruction, really, you would think is an oxymoron. You know, those two words don't go together. Creative. Yes, they do. Creative destruction. I mean, good companies purposely stop doing some things they're doing. They stop things that aren't working. This is a positive concept creative destruction. Now we see it economically on a national scale. Certainly. I mean, think about, think about this. At one point, 79% of Americans work directly in agriculture today. It's less than 2%. Is that a bad thing? No, it's just different. We have the economy of scale. We've got better ways to do agriculture on big scale with fewer people. And those people have moved into other kind of things. I mean, think about all the people today or people who worked in manufacturing How many of you know moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, and grandpas who worked in manufacturing? Are they still there today? No. I mean, what if you were a blacksmith in 1935? Geez, could you continue doing that when now cars become the primary mode of transportation? No. So creative destruction is a positive and inevitable process. I mean, I love the concept. Personally, I do that. One of the things you've probably heard me talk about is that in setting my own goals, which I always have finished by November 15th of every year for the upcoming year, I purposely eliminate 15% of what I've been doing. Even if I've had a stellar year, there has never been a year in history where Dan Miller on November 15th says, I want to do exactly next year what I did this this year. Never, ever, ever, never going to happen. I'm always looking for, okay, what is the 15% that I'm going to eliminate? Now, the reason I do that is because I can't just keep adding things to my plate. Nobody can do that. We get overwhelmed, burned out, whatever. I don't want to do that. I want to stay very streamlined, very creative and entrepreneurial, but that requires that if I'm going to do anything new, I have to look at what am I going to stop doing? A lot of effective goal setting has to do with not just what you're going to add in. What are you going to stop doing? 
You may not add anything. And if you just decide what you're going to stop doing, it may clean up your life and increase your productivity dramatically. So I purposely eliminate 15% of what I've been doing each year to open up a new 15%. Now I'll give you an example. This year, you know what hit the bubble? Speaking. I get paid very well for speaking. This next year, I'm already booked about half a dozen times. And I think I'm going to draw the line on the sand and not take on anything else because that was in the bubble. There's a lot of reasons for that, that I won't go into them. But what I have added in are creating online courses. Creating online courses has way more potential than speaking, even though I, you know, am paid quite well to do that. But I'm just looking at, okay, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to add in something new. Now, another question that Patrick asked is are entrepreneurs moving toward becoming protein companies? It's P R O T E A N. Yeah. That's a term that just means that we are, it can be seen as kind of a negative term. And because a lot of companies are doing some very creative things to stay under the radar with some of the new restrictive government regulations, including healthcare and beyond. So they're outsourcing a lot of things that may keep their employee numbers under 50 that removes them some from a lot of requirements that are out there now. So the, the protein economy is just companies that are looking how to streamline through using others in a co-op relationship or outsourcing task so that you don't have a lot of employees. You build it using another model. And, and frankly, that's what I've done. I mean, I have done that. I have no employees, but we have about 30 independent contractors that will file 1099s for at the end of the year because they've done significant amount of work for us during the year, but it's not an employee kind of relationship. And that does free me up, gives me a whole lot of freedom as a company where I'm not subject to a lot of the very restrictive government regulations. Okay. Boy, I know that we're whipping through some pretty deep water here. Uh, Patrick says, why did you use Udemy.com to market the ultimate advantage how to create your own mastermind instead of putting it up on 48days.com and taking 100% of the revenue. Uh, some very simple reasons for that. One is when we it is on the Udemy platform. So you go there and you can find the ultimate advantage, how to create your own mastermind. If I send people there, which we will be doing, we haven't even started promoting it, but as we do that, when we send people there, we get 100% of the revenue, 100%. Now, if they generate the viewer, the person, the student, they get 50%. But it requires a tremendous amount of bandwidth and the functionality of their site. What we can do in terms of function, putting those videos in there, eight videos, and then having the streaming PDF over on the right-hand side, the startup guide, having all that built in their system, that requires a lot of web design and bandwidth to host that. And we just thought it was a great advantage, a great opportunity to put it on the Udemy platform. I have no second thoughts about that at all. I love what we're able to do and work in conjunction with them. Now, he also asked, what's the status of the woman you and Joanna are helping? Now, I've mentioned that, you know, we've helped a young lady who's been out of prison for about five years now. And I've made some um, rather glaring mistakes in trying to help her by trying to help her be something that she was not and trying to help her be, you know, middle-class American when she is not, but instead of just allowing her to be the best that she can be. 
And so we've made some adjustments in that. And one of the things that I, that I've shared, and I know that's probably what you're talking about is I, I gave her yet her fourth car. Yes. I taught her well to just expect me to bail her out anytime she had a car problem. So I gave her her fourth car, but then I said, this is it. That's the last one I'm going to give you, but here's the deal. You said that you could afford a car payment. You know, you were tempted to go down and buy a new car where they'd put you underwater for the rest of your life. And you could make a car payment of like $450, which is ludicrous. But I said, anyway, I want you to send me $250 a month. Now you're not sending me money to repay me for the car that I just gave you once again, but you are now creating your own car fund. So if you go a year and take care of the car that I gave you and don't tap into this fund, you're going to have 3000 bucks there. Two years of driving the car, which should last you much longer than that, you'd have $6,000 there. Well, guess what? She has never missed a month. She is doing that. She now has $1,530 in her own car fund. She sends me a check. I cash it and put it in an envelope for her here. If she needs tires or air conditioning, compressor replaced or whatever, she can go. But she's not doing that. She's taking care of the little maintenance things out of her own pocket, anything that's needed, oil changes and so on. And she is thrilled knowing that she keeps getting these notes from me about this little account that's growing for her. And one of these days, I mean, time will pass quickly. One of these days, I'll be able to go out with her and help her shop for any kind of car she wants. I mean, how cool is that? I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Um, and the question I attended, innovate in September. When will the 48 days Eagle the miniatures, you know, the, Scott Stearman did the big, bold 48 Days Eagle. When will those be available for purchase? We are bringing that together. We are going to, I haven't even shared this yet, but we're planning to do the unveiling of that 48 Days Eagle at the Innovate event in March. And we're going to have a granite base and have that installed here in our property right in front of the sanctuary, do an unveiling of that. And at that time, have miniatures available. I'm so excited about that. I can't sleep at night. That's We're going to have like 14-inch miniatures of the 48 Days Launch Eagle. It's that eagle extended out on a branch, wings extended, too far out to retreat. There's no turning back, all in the launch. I love that image. And it's now being cast in bronze. We have video time delay video of the whole process here. And then we'll go on through the casting process that we'll have on our site. Um, hopefully in 30 days or so, that video showing the, uh, the, how that developed, the, the birth and growth and development of the 48 Days Eagle. Well, thanks for your question on that. Let me go to a couple others here. Ray from Oak Ridge, New Jersey says, I love what I do, but I feel underpaid. The company I work for does not do six-month or 12-month evaluations. We're a small shop of about 20 people. I'm thinking about writing a letter asking to have my pay scale evaluated to my current position and performance. I'd send this letter to my supervisor, the company VP, and the owner of the company. What advice can you give me in this situation? I've been with the company for 12 years and I moved up in position, always more responsibility and not getting a salary increase. I feel that the letter may help increase my salary or at least let me know if I should look for greener pastures. Well, it's reasonable at any time to ask for a performance review. It's reasonable at any time to ask for a pay increase. I and mean, that should be a healthy discussion no matter when you do it. 
with your company. And if you haven't had a performance review in a year, yeah, you have every right. I mean, it's healthy for you to ask for a performance review. But if you expect that alone to give you a pay increase, you're going to be disappointed. In today's economy, in today's workplace, just being somewhere another year does not merit a raise. Now, this is you're going to you're going to dislike what I say, perhaps, but you don't even necessarily expect a cost of living increase. Yes, cost of living is going to go up, you know, two, three, four percent or whatever it's calculated. But companies just don't look at that anymore. The only thing that merits an increase is increased contribution to the company. Companies are looking for results, not time. So time doesn't mean anything. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody who you've been there 12 years and they hire somebody who's been there a year and they get a promotion, they're making more money than you. Well, it's because the company considers their contribution to be more valuable. So just be honest with yourself. How have you increased your value to the company? How have you decreased cost, increased revenue? Be able to document the things that you're doing that show that you have a higher value. Don't go in saying, well, I've been here another year. I deserve a raise. No, you don't. And if you force the issue without being able to document increased value, they're likely to say, hey, why don't you just pack up your desk? You know, we probably don't need you here. So be careful of that. But if you can document your increased value, then by all means, go in and have fun. Here's a, let me grab, um, tell you what, let me, let me do, let me grab one more here. Andrew from Hayes, Kansas. I'm about to implement my website and podcast, but I have a question. I'm a manager for a national health and wellness corporation. Certain views I have and possible topics I could discuss could be considered controversial. Should I use my name and do what I want, assuming that I won't be on their radar anyway? Or should I not use my name to ensure no negative consequences coming back to corporate headquarters? Don't ever assume you won't be on their radar. You will be on their radar 30 minutes after you launch your website. I mean, with the things we have, the technology we've got available out there today, Google Alerts and all those things, my gosh, I mean, we have people come into 48days.net, you know, a wonderful community of 14,000 people who are helping each other move it. And I mean, if they comment on a blog, it instantly goes to the top of their Google search. And they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want my company to know I'm talking to other people about doing something other than what I'm doing now. Well, don't do anything on the internet if you don't want your company to know about it. Certainly don't watch a don't launch a website and podcast. If you think there's something in there that you don't want your company to know about, that would be shooting yourself in the foot. Don't do that. So you're going to have to choose. I mean, can you do a website and podcast where you can do where if the discussion needed to come up with your company, you could say, yeah, you know, this complements what I'm doing here. I'm really kind of expanding, you know, my message, the message that we're sharing here. I mean, if it correlates, then fine. But if you're going to do things that will sabotage you in your current position, then you're going to have to choose real quickly. Are you prepared to leave or don't do a website and podcast until you are ready to make that transition? But you, you can't do that and think that you're going to stay under the radar. Nope. That is not going to happen at all. You are going to be on the radar as soon as you do anything. Well, hey, we're going to start wrapping up here. We got about 45 seconds left and just a recap remember that quotation we started out with the mess this is the message of christmas we are never alone i hope that's a positive thought 
for you. The fact that we're never alone, we do more together. The synergy of working together, linking arms, allows us to do things that we could never possibly do on our own. How do you deal with negative family members? How do you deal with negative coworkers, bosses, supervisors? Determine what you do control and what you cannot control. Make decisions based on that if you have to. Draw those necessary endings and boundaries. You may decide, again, with family members that three hours is a good, a good range. Three days is way over the top. How do you balance everything you do? Well, after 12 years at the company, what do you do if you've gotten position increases, but not salary increases? Well, Have that can happen. And here we go. Take a little Frank Sinatra to take us out today. Let this is the holiday season. One of my light. favorite songs by the old master. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Isn't that a great thought? From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Well, as we fade out with this, just know that I'm honored to have you be a part of this amazing community that we've got. People who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable. Have a great Christmas and holiday season. Dear to us, gather near to us.